Okay, welcome to the Blind Ambition Podcast with our special guest, Andrew Seaman. Andrew Seaman is, I, I would say, the man at LinkedIn. I, I'm not going <laughs> to even use your, your real title. I think like you're everything LinkedIn. You're like the embodiment of LinkedIn. When everybody knows you through your podcasts, through your newsletter, through all the advice you give for people. So Rick and I are so excited to speak with you and just to get a sense of like what's going on and maybe just to kick it off, Andrew, you could kind of give us maybe what, what do you see happening, you know, on the platform now, you know, aside from maybe link uh, layoffs, what, what other kind of things is go, are you seeing that's, that's trending? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thank you for the lovely introduction. Um, I am obviously a small part of a wonderful army of people uh, here who um, do really wonderful things, and I'm, I'm very fortunate to to be among them. Um, but yeah, no, thank thank you again for having me. And yeah, on the platform, I think we're seeing a lot of things. Like obviously, you know, you mentioned aside from layoffs, and I think we're seeing a lot of people. They're looking again at their careers. They're evaluating what's next for them. I think we're in a really interesting time when people have gone from a really wild roller coaster ride in the labor market to things sort of normalizing and you know we were we were in really weird atmospheric space when it came to hiring for a while so things are like almost normalizing and even though it, it feels like a slowdown um but you know it, it's really interesting to see people sort of say like oh okay things are changing a little bit again i have to get used to that um, and then I see people really dipping into sharing their knowledge more, um, which is really nice to see. So it's people saying like, hey, this is what I do in my industry. Um, this is something that I've picked up along the way. Um, and, you know, I really like seeing that on the platform because, you know, at the end of the day, um, I think that's what we're all here for is to sort of learn from each other and share with each other. Um, so that's something that I've been seeing more of, and I'm really happy about it. You have what is about 800 million people members on the site? Um, yeah, so around that uh, number. Um, um, I, I think the official tally is somewhere on our website, but um, but yeah, it's about 800 million, I believe. So with with that, with so much data, you know, with so much information, unfortunately, or to dominate the headlines, are you seeing? you know, more jobs being created, more jobs added? Are you seeing a lot of hiring? Um, are you seeing positive, basically, are you seeing positive things to outweigh kind of the negative headlines that we read all the time? Um, well, you know, I think, you know, things shift. So a lot of times we talk about proportions here. So, um, you know, we had a recent stat that I think it was um, you know, a lot of people, they still go, they, people are still romanticized by the idea of remote work. Um, and I think, you know, we saw that about 13% of our job postings uh, last month were remote jobs. And that compared to, I think, 20% in March 2020. Um, so remote work is sort of receding again. Um, but overall, you know, there still are a lot of jobs out there. Um, but I always sort of have the caveat. I, I, I think when I, and also when I say that there are a lot of jobs out there, I think the most recent data in the U.S. is that there's 1.7 jobs for every unemployed person. 
Um, but my caveat always with that data is that there are so many variables that need to align for a person to get a job. So when we say that, oh, there's 1.7 jobs available for every unemployed person, that doesn't mean that a lot of them are in the industry you want to work in. It doesn't mean that they're in the region that you live in. It doesn't mean that like, you know, they're in um, a specific, or at least they're accepting people with your requirements or something like that. So there are all these variables that have to align. So a lot of times when people hear that there are a lot of jobs out there, they'll say, then why can't I get one? Um, but we're talking at a 30,000 foot level. And when you get down at the ground level, you know, it becomes much more complex. And, you know, when you say like, oh, there's all these jobs, they may not be near you. Um, so there are jobs out there, um, but it doesn't mean that it's still easy to get one. Um, that's why, you know, I do what I do is we try and give people the tools to increase their odds of success. I'm so glad that you said that because for the longest time, I felt like a lone voice out in the wilderness because exactly what you're talking about. Like I would, I would write for Forbes about, you know, the jobs report on a monthly basis. And they would always have that one job for every, you know, X amount of people. And the same thing, I'm like, wait, stop writing that because <laughs> that's not the case. Just what you said, just because their job's open. And I, I wonder how you feel this way too, that a lot of those jobs, they're open because people don't want those jobs. They're not the most desirable jobs. Or as you mentioned, they're not in your location, they're not compensation. So it almost misleads people to say, oh, wow, there's all these jobs open. Let me take a look, as opposed to give it some reason and nuance and context, you know, like you're offering. Yeah. And it could be that, you know, there has been, uh, you know, like I said, just so many vari variables. So there could be, jobs opening in sectors that we just don't have enough people who are trained to do that yet or maybe people have moved away from that specific training um so you know we recently released our jobs on the rise list and one of the top jobs is truck driver um so wait, which you know, is, i thought wait kind of be to it but that's that's so odd because i wouldn't think that they would be on linkedin but i guess do you have truck drivers on there oh yeah we have you know people from yeah. every sort of type of career. And like, I, I always tell people that regardless of what your job is, like we, there's dignity in all work. Um, and, you know, it takes a lot to run a society it, and, you know, from uh, people who, um, you know, work in schools in the evening to people who, you know, run cities or companies, you know, everyone in between makes the world work. Um, so, you know, for truck drivers, you know, you may not necessarily think like, oh, well, why would they be on LinkedIn? But think of all the knowledge you need to have as a truck driver. There are rules, there are regulations about how often you could drive. Um, there are, um, you know, laws about, um, you know, if you've driven so much already, you can, you have to take a, a break and, um, you know, what can be transported, where you have to stop. There's a lot of knowledge that has to go into that. Um, so, you know, if you're on LinkedIn, you could you could share that knowledge. You could share about how, you know, you found your way to being an independent contractor or working for yourself, or maybe is it better to work for a company? Um, so there are a lot of things about the profession of being in transportation that, you know, you could share with other people that you can um, look for work. So, you know, and also I think, um, transportation is just a, 
something that's evolving. So, you know, with all the supply chain issues that we've had globally, um, it's something super crucial. And especially for retailers that need to get the so-called last mile in that requires, you know, they could get, they could get shipments. So like, you know, if you have Walmart or Amazon, they could get their supplies to warehouses regionally, but how do you get that the last mile to people's homes? And that's something that all retailers sort of struggle with. And we've seen that over the years. To go back to remote. Now, Rick, on, on blind, it seems like a lot of the people who are at Apple, Microsoft, uh, you know, Google, they seem to want remote. Are, are you noticing, are they getting those jobs? And, and I guess, Andrew, here on LinkedIn, not as much as it was before, huh? I, I think what's really interesting within the blind community is there's been a lot of discussion around certain companies requiring, you know, transitioning basically to a flexible work schedule or a hybrid work schedule where it's it's not entirely in the office, but you're expected to go into the office maybe one, two, three, even four times a week. And there's been some resistance, right? Because in the last two years, a lot of people have adapted their lives. They might have moved to another region where coming into the office becomes increasingly difficult, if not impossible, right? If you can imagine when Twitter at the height of the pandemic said you can work wherever you want, you might have moved away from the San Francisco Bay Area and you might be in the middle of the country or you might be somewhere rural. And when Elon Musk said, oh, you know, I want people back to the office, um, you know, not everyone can just hop on a plane from the middle of America uh, and head to the Bay Area, right, to do work. Uh, and, and so that's been a challenge. There's been some recent companies like TikTok um, in the U.S. where they are getting rid of some of their work from home benefits like home internet reimbursements, uh, gym reimbursements, basically making it less comfortable to work remotely to encourage people to come back. Um, and in some other cases, there are some companies that said you must come back to the office or you can no longer work here because, um, you know, our company is in office first. And I, I think it goes back right back to what we observed in 2020. I, I, I think the kind of, there's kind of like a false dichotomy between you must either be in office or you must be remote or remote friendly or full-time remote. I think at the end of the day, employees across all industries, across all type of functions, really just want autonomy, right? You want to be trusted to know how you can get your work best done. And I, I think forcing someone to do something, that part is what people are reacting to. It's, it's less like whether I'm a fan of remote work or not, but I, I just don't like being told what to do when, you know, perhaps the way that I'm working works well for me and I'm, you know, just as effective or, or just as efficient. You know, we've seen, like I said, the proportion of remote roles shrink and really, I think what it comes down to in terms of why that is, is that it takes a lot to change culture. And it, during the pandemic, when everyone was working from home, uh, the Wall Street Journal had a really good story where they basically surveyed a lot of the top CEOs in the country and said, what do you think is going to happen after when offices reopen? And 
consistently, they pretty much said, I want people back in the office because there are benefits of the serendipitous interactions where, you know, you meet John in the hallway and they're working on a project and you could collaborate together and things like that. And, you know, even if they said, okay, our companies are working just fine with hybrid and remote roles, that still there's this tug of, you know, decades of, you know, in office interactions that had to be undone. And at this point, the power is shifting within the labor market. So we went from basically mass unemployment during the pandemic, and companies then had to basically surge higher. And the job seekers were in the driver's seat. And now the power dynamic is shifting a little bit more. So employers don't have to cater as much to the demands of job seekers right now. So they can say, no, I would like you back in the office. And the job seeker doesn't have enough power really in the economy. Like it's all kind of about power dynamics um, to make that that case as much as they did. So that's sort of, I think, why we're seeing the remote jobs to recede a little bit. Maybe it'll come back um, once the pendulum swings again, because of course it will, that's how these things work. But, um, you know, it, it, it depends on when that is and, and what the state of play is at that time. So it sounds like you see a correlation between the employers having more power compared to where it was a couple of years ago to saying, hey, we want you back in the office. And that might be for people who are watching it now, if they're wondering what's going on, why am I not seeing as many remote jobs as I did before? So I guess it's a shift now where they're trying to get people back. But as you mentioned, once the market gets back again and everything is great, you probably will see the remote jobs pop up again. Is that is that maybe kind of a fair statement? Yeah, and I, I think it depends on what people are used to at that time and, and you know how long it takes for the pendulum to swing back. And also something that is important to note too is that competition for those remote roles are really high. So like I said, they're about 13, I think it's 13.2% um, last month, uh, the proportion of jobs that are remote, more than half of all applications go to those roles. So the the competition wow. for those roles are really high um so it's still good as an employer to be offering those because you're getting your pick of talent so that's a, that's a that's a really interesting so so not only are there less jobs but when they're open for remote roles intensity you know in terms of everyone trying to get the, those few roles that are open yep wow are are you seeing other kinds of trends happening now that you know there are layoffs, downsizing, hiring freezes, where maybe the employees don't have as much power? Are you seeing any other things playing out? Um, you know, um, it, it's difficult to, especially since things are in flux right now. Obviously, data takes time. Um, we do have an amazing team here at LinkedIn called uh, the Economic Graph Team. And, you know, one of the most amazing things um, about LinkedIn is that we have uh, economists here that get to look at the numbers and sort of see um, what what could be coming. And um, if people go to Karen Kimbrough's 
LinkedIn profile, she's our chief economist. Uh, they'll see that we have some newsletters that we put out and they just put out something about two weeks ago about sort of the global economy and what they see coming. Um, and basically, you know, obviously no surprise. I think they're, they're um, hopefully I'm, I'm characterizing this correctly. They saw, um, you know, a slowdown coming, but the US was resistant and really it depends on where you are because obviously the situation in Europe is different than the situation in Asia, then is different than North America and things like that. So they're a slowdown, but I think like, you know, mild recession was one of the world words that was used and things like that. Um, but yeah, so I would really encourage people who are really interested in that and what LinkedIn data says to go to the economic graph teams page and um, their profiles because they're always putting really great trend pieces out. Um, and then we we pick them up when we can and 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 add them to our reporting. Rick, on your platform there, are you seeing the Amazons of the world try to push people back into the office as well? Yeah, I, I think what we're seeing in terms of overall trends outside of the remote work dynamic is a, a decrease or a drop in the total compensation that some of these workers are receiving. And so that total compensation could be kind of the lost benefits, you know, the the remote work benefits that go away in terms of coverage for your gym membership or home Wi-Fi or utility bills or office furniture. Uh, we're also seeing, uh, because of these hiring freezes and just uh, reduced hiring because of these layoffs, uh, it is very difficult for you know a, a Google, a Meta, a Amazon, a very highly paid, uh, technical, knowledge-based uh, professional to command that same kind of compensation at another company, right? Where uh, I, I would say one year ago, you it wasn't uncommon for someone to have an offer from Amazon, Google, Apple, Meta, and use those offers to, you know, compete and, and try to get these companies to, to bid up their offers. Um, it becomes very difficult when, let's say, you're at Amazon, you were laid off. Previously, you might have sh tried to shop around with Meta, Google, but those companies have also reduced their hirings. They might have implemented hiring freezes in certain departments or functions. And now you have less of that kind of bargaining power, that less of a, a smaller chip to play, so to speak. And so we're starting to see the number of offers uh, some of our professionals are reporting going down, uh, and then the the dollar value from those offers going down as well. And, and, and that's not even counting the stock-based compensation that many of these professionals get. You know, when there's concerns about a recession, the markets tend to be a bit more volatile. And uh, when your stock or when your compensation is based on that stock, uh, that that can have a swing as well. Andrew Rick, on a positive side, maybe are there are there roles that if you want to pivot? So let's say in your sector, let's say tech sector, it might be soft. Uh, Andrew, are there in addition to the trucking we talked about? Are there other areas that your data shows that there's a lot of growth in certain types of jobs that maybe people could take their skills and cross over? Yeah, and I well, I think it's important also to note that. 
the tech space is really interesting because well and and it's not necessarily exclusive to tech but you know i'm a journalist and i work in tech um you know i that's my background um you know we have people here who uh work in audio production and um so tech even though you work for a tech company you you might have no idea like i have no idea how to code um things like that so there if people do get let go from a tech company there are a lot of options out there because their skills can be utilized in a lot of different spaces and especially if you are on the actual tech tech side um, where you can code um, think of all of the places that can use those skills so whether it's like a casino whether it's a um, hospital those places um it's really interesting um because i think a lot of times people get caught up with the word tech and they'll think oh these are a bunch of like people who are coding on computers when you know that's part of it but there's a much bigger part of it um that is nothing to do it with that and you know when it comes to sort of the list that we just released um it's really interesting because you know there's so many different um positions on that list and I always like the list when we get the data back where we see people from a range of different backgrounds and like you said truck driver is on there um you know head of revenue was on there we had a lot of HR roles in there um and obviously a lot of people think like you know Becky and HR or something like that um but HR is much bigger than that too and we have um HR analytic roles um, and what we're seeing is that companies are being a lot smarter with how they hire and thinking a little bit more thoughtfully about their workforces, because I think the pandemic was sort of a weird wake up call for a lot of companies where, you know, they shed a ton of jobs very quickly. And then when things got back to somewhat normal, I'm not going to say normal, but, um, you know, there were, there was some some resurgence of business very soon after um a lot of businesses were sort of on their back foot because they sort of didn't expect that so quickly and then they were losing out on business because they didn't have the talent i think everyone remembers uh, the signs and like restaurant windows that said sorry we're closed tuesday because you know our server had to take the day off um those sort of things and so we're seeing a lot of roles in the talent space where it's like <clears throat> employee experience you know how do we keep the great talent that we have hr analytics how do we actually create a workforce that can withstand uncertainty in the economy so that's the tech role there um you have diversity and um, equity and inclusion in there too you know if you do do layoffs how do you make sure you maintain a um diverse workforce so you don't lose the gains that you've already done um and then there are positions in healthcare. um there are a lot of different things that um you know people can take their talent in and what's really good is the list that we put out it is the fastest growing jobs but we look at five years of data so these aren't flash in the pan roles this isn't something that is going to go away next year these are roles that over five years has shown staying power um so these are they're not necessarily recession proof by any means but they at least are areas where companies have made um consistent investments in so you know if you're leaving tech industry depending on where you are 
um, there's a good chance. And obviously, um, like we talked about a little bit before we went live, there's a good chance that there's a place for you. And I think there's some data showing that people, they're finding roles relatively quickly. Um, you know, obviously there's probably some noise in the data there, but um, you know, I, I think people that are leaving places like Amazon or Google or places like that, that, that's a good name to have on your resume. And if you go to, you know, your local healthcare system or something like that, they're going to say, we want your talent. You, you know, because I've seen in the Wall Street Journal, I think Business Insider, uh, Zip Recruiter stories saying that people who lost their jobs pretty quickly, I would say, I don't know, anywhere from 30 days to three months would find a comparable job. Sometimes they would say even more money. Um, to me, as a recruiter, that seems really super quick. But is it that maybe, as you just mentioned, because the marquee brand you have on your resume, they're just going to swoop in and say, hey, this is my chance to get that person. You know, a year ago, two years ago, I would not be able to get that person with that kind of pedigree. Now I can. I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. Is that maybe what's happening? It could be like, I, I you know, I, I don't obviously I, I haven't looked at that data, but I, yeah. I've seen the I've seen the data reported on. And, right. um, you know, like Rick mentioned, you know, if you move, you know, if you were based in San Francisco, New York or Los Angeles or, you know, one of the coasts and during the pandemic, you said, I want to move to Omaha or I want to move to, you know, Sun Valley or something like that. Um, yeah, you know, if you worked for a marquee brand and you went to somewhere more local, um, because, you know, maybe you don't want to move back to the coast. Maybe you like your life um, where you are. That could be one factor at play here. It could be that maybe people are dipping out of the workforce for a little bit. Maybe they have savings and they say, hey, I just want to take some time. Um, maybe they're doing some freelance work, consulting work. Um, you know, I, 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 I think I see a lot of people do that when they get laid off. They, if they have some means to get themselves set up, they'll say, I don't want a full-time job, um, but I'll take contract work. Um, so I think there's a lot of things people are doing. Um, and again, you know, there are people who will get a job overnight. There were people who will not get a job for maybe four months or five months. And it really depends, like we said, on all those variables and whether they align and what you want, if if what you want aligns with what an employer wants. Um, you know, yeah, when jobs in job search and careers, you know, I, I think especially the old saying where it says comparison is the thief of joy. I think that's very true for job searching it's, and careers. It's so true, Andrew, because <laughs> like that's what I think freaks out people because, you know, you could say, wow, how did Jack get a job that quickly? And I'm looking, this is three months. And what, what I've seen over like 25 years of recruiting, sometimes it's just luck. Like, are you in the right place at the right time? Because someone can mm -hmm. have like amazing skills, fantastic background, wonderful person, and you just don't have that right job at that time. And then someone else you watch, and you're like, well, that person's a knucklehead. How do they just get that job right away? What's what's yeah. wrong? And I think that's what like hurts people's self-esteem when they can't like figure out why is this there's happening? Always the, there's always the X factor where it's... Yeah you know, you know, you reliably know every other letter in the alphabet and how it aligns with your job search, but then there's X and you never know what that is. You never know how that's going to come into play. It could be that you hit the wrong button when you were applying and it was a knockout question. It could be that the boss's cousin decided to apply <laughs> for a job and 
they were completely unqualified, but they had the most the best qualification ever. They were the boss's cousin. Um, so you never know what that one X factor is going to be. I'm glad you say because that, that's the wild card. It's not like a math equation. If you do mm. one and one, it's two, and you get the job. It's it 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 doesn't always yeah. work that way. And that's why it bothers me sometimes when I see job coaches or career coaches where they say this is the one thing you need to do. And there might be one thing that you can do to set yourself up for success, but um, nothing's ever a guarantee. Um, so what you what you always want to do is make sure that you're putting, you know, you're putting yourself in a position where the odds are in your favor. Um, it doesn't mean that you're going to beat the odds, uh, or it doesn't mean that the odds are going to be a sure thing. But the odds, you know, you want them to at least align where it's going to point in the right direction for you. And, and Rick, I've seen it from you guys, some reports and, uh, you know, from Andrew, from your reports, I don't know if I've seen anything recently, but from time to time, they'll say, hey, here's where people are going and moving to your earlier point where, you know, maybe you don't want to stay in New York or San Francisco and you're going, I'll make this up, Jacksonville, Florida, or or somewhere in, in, somewhere in Carolina. And that maybe there's a better chance of getting a job in a smaller market and doing that. So, you kind of see that for, from LinkedIn a lot and some other platforms too, where you just see that migration. And that, that might be a theory, well, for people too, to say, hey, maybe I don't, maybe I shouldn't stay in the big city, high taxes, expensive houses, but I can't even maybe afford a house with now high interest rates. Let me go somewhere else. I, I think what we're seeing more in terms of mobility that's also contributing to finding a job more easily or more quickly is the willingness to switch industries, right? So um, I, I think it's very easy to focus on these headlines, these like huge marquee numbers, like 10,000, 18,000, 10%, 20, 30%. Uh, they're primarily in the tech industry and the tech industry is not the entire economy, right? There are so many jobs that are just not tech tech related, even with our kind of modernization of the economy, even with like digitizing everything, you know, there are entire industries within services, um, healthcare, financial services, even that are just growing, you know, recently in major airline reached out to me, trying to recruit me to be a PR person, right? Travel is booming, right? That's services. Uh, and, and I think that willingness Are you just to saying that to get out. a raise or is that? <laughs> yeah. My, my boss that's uh, listening, <laughs> FYI, hint, hint. Um, I, I, I think that is, I mean, I just use that as an example because I would have never considered that industry at all. Right. And that's a, someone that's kind of like a little bit of a flight geek that I, lo I love to fly. And I would, you know, never think that that's an opportunity that might be open to me. And, and so having that willingness to kind of explore and just realize like, oh, a, a lot of my skills um, might be directly translatable to someone else, right? Or in another industry, another geography. I'm also bringing my big company or my big city or my, you know, in the root startup, like experience that that can really, really have a, a an incredible impact and, and you're going to get uh, compensated accordingly. Andrew, do you notice, I'm, I'm curious, I kind of had this thing I'm trying to wrestle with. In past, you, you, you talked about a possible recession earlier on. 
And usually it's the blue collar workers, the frontline workers that get that bear the brunt when things go bad. But this time around, it seems like it's more of a white collar recession and which is very different. And I wonder, Andrew, do you think there's this kind of contagion effect that once one company says, hey, we're laying off X amount, it frees up the next company to say, hmm, we could do that too. And then before you know it, just what we've seen, that just steady flow of, of layoffs. And if so, how does that end? Or does it just keep going on? Do you have any thoughts about that? Um, yeah, like I obviously this is just my own opinion, but yeah, I, yeah. I I assume there is some sort of like shielding effect where, you know, it's sort of like, well, if we all go at the same time, you know, we we can sort of blunt the bad and negative experiences that we'll we'll get. Like I, I don't think any company, any boss ever wants to lay people off. But, you know, I, I think at the same time you see people um, who lay off, they sometimes hire. And a lot of times it's, again, like workforce, um, you know, regulation almost, where you say, listen, I, you know, I hired far too many people on this side, and now I need more people on this side. So a lot of them might be level setting um where a business unit just disappears and they say, listen, we just don't need this business unit anymore. Um, so, you know, I, I'm sure that there is probably some of that where they say, listen, you know, we have to get rid of a few people because we did go through this ridiculous surge in hiring. Um, and, you know, what goes up must come down. And, you know, uh, so I think probably they look at the books and say, Mm, we do need to to shed some people here. Um, and it could be because they need to streamline their operations or they look into the future and say, okay, if we do hit a rocky economy, you know, do we have too many people for the amount of work that we'll have? Um, and also, I think that there's a question of like, if we do let people go and business returns booming very quickly, we will still be able to handle that. So, you know, there's a lot that probably go into those dis decisions, and I'm just happy that I don't have to make them. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I'm sure that there is some of that. Like, you know, if we if we all go together, and um, I don't know how how it stops, but um, you know, hopefully, hopefully it, it's you know because I I don't think anyone willingly um, does that, so they only do it if they they need to. What I find interesting too, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but you, you hear the headline risk and the media loves to g give fear, right? Like 10,000, 20, you know, 50,000, ah, and you get everyone's freaked out. But then when I'm crunching the numbers, and I think I just wrote about this the other day, when I crunch the numbers, the amount of people, to your point, Andrew, what you mentioned before, that were hired since let's say 2019 to almost now, huge numbers. So that when you factor in even the 10, you know, thousand at a clip, they're still way net up from years ago. So the head count is huge, but that's not, that go, I think that goes underreported because it's not sexy and it's not going to get people to click on the article and read it because it's not screaming like, oh my God, the layoff. So when you factor it in, it doesn't seem, this is sound weird, but it doesn't seem as bad as it's made out to look. Am I, am I crazy or is that? Have you guys noticed um, that? 
Well, actually, funny you, you should mention that. Someone did come to me today and said, hey, you know, about the net positive and that, you know, between 2019 and now or even from 2020 to now, um, you know, a lot of the FANG companies are still actually up quite a bit. And it's one of those things where it, it's sort of like, you know, I, I don't know how apt the comparison is or or how useful that number is. So I was sort of like, I don't think this actually does anything to to help anyone other than say like, oh, you know, they still hired more people over this time because there could be more layoffs on the way. And at the end of the day, you know, there are still a lot of people who lost their jobs. So, um, you know, it's it's difficult to know how useful that number is, I think. Like, it's it's interesting to see but at the same time, like I, I wouldn't necessarily use it as comfort, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, one thing that gives me comfort, one thing that is nice that on LinkedIn, I haven't seen, I've seen rather so much warmth and so much camaraderie in terms of the layoffs, meaning that you find people who are just setting up spreadsheets. Here's who's hiring. You know, here's people who lost their job. Can you help them? And it's it's actually seems really nice that in a time of need, people are stepping up big time. And I see that, Rick, where you are too, where, you know, it's it's become like, hey, I'm going to try to help out however I can. Hey, have you seen a, have you seen that too, Andrew? Or do you, do you pay close attention to that? Yeah, um, you know, there's a, you know, I think there's always those spreadsheets that go around and, um, you know, you see people who say, if, you know, I could be of any help. Um, one thing that I always recommend to people is to give people LinkedIn recommendations, um, you know, if their friends or colleagues are being laid off. I think that's one of the things that you can do that's very low lift effort. Um, that way, when people go to their um, LinkedIn profiles, you have that built in, like, hey, I worked with uh, Barbara on, you know, X amount of projects, and um, she de delivered on results at, at time after time. Um, so you could just do low lift things like that, even. Um, but yeah, I, I think there is a lot of camaraderie. And I think also that stems from I think a lot of people's experience during the pandemic is that, you know, so many people were out of work um, so suddenly that they remember, oh, this could be me. Um, so of all the pain that was caused by the pandemic, there were some, I think, positives that come out of it, which is, I think there's some, there's much less stigma about unemployment. Um, there's um, a lot of people have created more distance between themselves and their work, which I think is never a bad thing. Um, and, you know, and then there's the idea of, oh, this, this happens sometimes in a person's career. I think what's really interesting is it, it can be very easy to kind of go down this like doom spiral, right? Where you work in tech, you get laid off, or you're, you're concerned about getting laid off because you just read all of these headlines. And it just seems like, oh my gosh, every company is playing follow the leader. And you go in a place like blind and people are giving each other referrals. And it's a good signal, right? Where, oh wow, someone's willing to go out of their way to help me find a job. It's also a signal that there are companies that are actively hiring and are desperate to find people, right? Where they're incentivizing their employees 
or just their employees out of the goodness of their heart are, are, are trying to fill the, the seat next to them on their team, uh, in their function and their business unit. And, and I think, again, it's kind of similar to like, if people are willing to go out of an industry that they currently work in or they, that they think, uh, you know, might not be open to them, like go and explore that because there are companies, a lot of teams out there that are desperate to hire. And I, I think even in like tech heavy cities like San Francisco and Seattle, um, the unemployment rate is still incredibly low, even with these like marquee numbers, right? There, I, I believe in San Francisco, it's less than 3%, the unemployment rate. Right. Um, and, and so that there are a lot of jobs out there. Um, and, and so you don't have to kind of think like, oh no, like I, I, can't, I can't get anywhere or, oh no, this might be taking a long time than I expected. Um, eventually it will click. And, and there are these opportunities out there that are, that are just waiting. For whatever reason, we have this boom and bust economy. You know, you go from, you know, even back to, let's say just 1987 with the crash. And then if you look at a graph of like where stocks performed afterwards, it just kind of kept going up. You know, then you have the dot-com boom and bust. You have 9-11 and its after effect. You have the financial crisis. You have the beginning of the pandemic. It's, and it just, it's just back and forth and back and forth. Uh, I, I, I always think that the fundamentals don't necessarily change when it comes to careers or the workplace um you know we always see like what quiet quitting and um you know rage applying and all that stuff and that's all been around forever it's yeah. just that they have a fancy new name to it um but i think people whatever happened during the pandemic whatever um culturally gen z brings to the workforce the millennials I think it's getting us to a healthier place. And I think people come to LinkedIn and they see that part of them exist in their careers, but also, you know, work is work sometimes. And there's just some sort of cohesion with that or, or some sort of overlap where it it's like, oh, you know, this is part of me. My work is part of me but it's not all of me. And I think we're seeing that manifest on LinkedIn. And someone recently told me, and they didn't, they didn't work at LinkedIn, but they were going between New York and DC on Amtrak. And they said there was a group of like really young um, people. Not, and when I say really young, you know, I'm speaking from, you know, mid thirties. Um, yeah. So they're probably like early twenties. Um, and they, they were talking about how much they use LinkedIn and, uh, the person texted me and, and you're like, said, yeah. these people, well, they, like they texted me and they said, these, these kids behind me won't stop talking about how much they use LinkedIn. <laughs> and I said, Hey, it's a cool place to be. But I, I, I just think that the, you know, from a population level, I think we're, we're seeing people re-examine their careers, their work. And I think we're seeing that manifest. Any, any other, any other last words you have, you know, you guys have to, for people who are you're just just trying to figure out what to do and any other words of wisdom before uh, we we uh, say goodbye i think i have one kind of pro tip for the job seekers in the audience it's to look at these like not as marquee companies right look at these smaller companies oftentimes they can hire faster um you know blind has a recruiting agency called talent by blind and some of our clients they're skipping, they're letting you skip the first like phone screen if you work with us, right? Because you can go 
straight into like the chat with the hiring manager or straight into the technical challenge. And I, I think going back to like, Jack, your point about how are people finding these jobs so quickly? I think there's a bit of that, right? There are these smaller, maybe even mid-sized companies that are kind of like licking their lips, right? And saying, oh my gosh, they're drooling. Like there's such great talent out there. I'm in a rush to hire. I've, I've always needed to hire. How can I make it easy to stand out as an employer of choice? And so a lot of them, they're adjusting their benefits. They're adjusting their interview process. They're adjusting how quickly they can hand out offers. They're being more transparent about their pay and what it's like to work on the team, work at their company. And so it, it, it's worth considering um, and thinking outside the box. Yeah. And I would say, you know, at least for me, um, definitely I, I would plus one that is that don't overlook small companies because usually it comes with more freedom. And I think we're seeing a lot more people across an age spectrum say, I kind of want to do a few different things. So like, you know, I think we've seen the rise of the side hustle more than anything over the past few years. And especially among younger people, I think we're seeing them say like, hey, I don't want to just be this one thing. I want to be this and a content creator. I want to be this and a chef. And, um, you know, so it's, it's, it's kind of really interesting to see. And I think that leads me into my other uh, piece of advice is don't be afraid to take a risk. Um, and, you know, I always, um, there was someone in grad school, so uh, a professor, his name's Sig Gisler, um, who used to be the administrator of the Pulitzer Prizes, and he didn't invent this, but um, all the professors on the first day of class, you know, they were allowed to give everyone a piece of advice, and um, he said, keep an open mind, but don't let your brain fall out. Um, and I always, I always think that's great for life, but also your career. It's like, take a risk, but also just be smart about it. Like, you know, um, you know, and, and internally here at LinkedIn, we talk about taking intelligent risk and, you know, sometimes it pays off. Sometimes it doesn't, if it doesn't pay off, you move on to the next thing. Um, but you know, don't be afraid to, to take a risk because, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to be in your career for, um, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, and you're not going to like every day of your job, you know, when they say, you know, do something you love, and you'll ever work a day in your life, that person is lying through their teeth. <laughs> Sometimes work is work. Um, uh, you know, and you want to at least set yourself up so that you you're not miserable at work. So, you know, if you think you could be happier, and you want to take a little bit of a risk, go for it. I love it. And I love you. I love your transparency. So like, like you're just call it the way it is. And that's fantastic. That's great. I love it. I love <laughs> well, it. there's no, yeah, there's no, there's no point in, uh, you know, people, people will find out if you're not honest eventually. So. <laughs> well, I, exactly. I really appreciate you taking time because I know you're busy. Like you said, at the beginning of the hour where you started talking, the podcast, the newsletter, everything you're doing, I know you're a busy guy. So I really appreciate you taking time out. And I think it's so helpful because everybody's just trying to figure out what do I do? How do I get through this? What's going on? So one of the things that just personally, selfishly, I enjoy doing is these kind of conversations because I know it's helping people because I know they're afraid, they're scared, they don't know, they're confused. So if we could offer a little color, a little advice, a little guidance, that's great. It's helpful. So uh, you, you, you're amazing, Andrew. Uh, you, you never fail to always come up and just have great things to say and very wise and have so much knowledge to impart. And, and I really appreciate you taking the time 
and coming on our podcast and talking about it. It's, it's awesome. Thank you so much. Well, man. thank you. No, thank you for having me. That's it for The Blind Ambition. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.